Thank you for joining us for the Preaching at Trinity podcast. We hope you enjoy this six-part sermon series on the priority of worship. Here is our senior pastor at Trinity Baptist Church, Dr. Daniel Minton. All right. I like that song, but you know when we usually sing that, right? It's Thanksgiving, so I kind of feel like pumpkin pie right now in Turkey. It's amazing that music can do that to us. I even told myself, don't think about Thanksgiving as we sing this. Um, But it's that time of year where we give praise to the Lord, and music is very powerful, and uh, it can produce in us memories that we've long forgotten. So we're going to talk about worship and song. In Revelation 5, uh, it, it takes us to the throne room of God and gives us a glimpse of the activities, or one of the activities that we'll do in heaven, which is to sing. We'll do many, many more things than that. But the words themselves are praise-inducing as we hear of the unity that takes place in heaven. Revelation 5 verse 9 says, The elders fell down before Jesus and sang a new song. And they do it in unison. Revelation 7 verse 9 kind of continues on when it says, An innumerable people from every nation and tribe, or every nation and tribe and people and tongue, And the words say, cry out with a loud voice. And the word crying out means joyful or exuberant praise that cannot be contained. And so heaven will be the perfection of our praise. All through time, people have given God praise. In fact, history tells us that over 9,500 hymns in all of history have been written in praise to God. Almost a million hymns. And what do we sing? Like, 500 of them, maybe? You know, many songs have been written. In fact, uh, it was uh, Charles Wesley who wrote 6,500 himself. And so uh, songs and worship and worshiping in song is something that has been around since the creation of time. In fact, the Bible actually has a lot to say about worship in general and music being just one of those parts or components. The verses are relevant then as we, as we study this topic of music. We're going to go to Psalm 100 eventually, but not for a while, not until the second point, because the Bible does say a lot about worship, and the church is commanded to use music to give God glory. However, music is complex, and at times it's a very personal expression Uh, of praise and therefore we can sometimes confuse or blur the lines between personal praise and corporate praise and today we're going to study corporate praise but with the goal that you hopefully then apply it to personal praise as well and so we'll begin on some standard statements about worship that I think are true of worshiping in song as well and I think we can all agree on these and then we'll move to more complex applications First, my, the, the first point that I just want to make is general in statement, but absolutely clear. I want to be absolutely clear about each of these points. Music is a vital part of worship. Therefore, worship must focus on the right person. Would you go to Psalm 135? Worship must focus on the right person. And of course, the person is Jesus Christ, or we could say the Lord. God is the person that all of our focus and worship should be upon. So when we come and we gather together, whether we're listening to a sermon, whether we're putting uh, an offering in the plate, whether we're singing, whether we're, we're praying with someone or listening to someone pray, our attention should be on God. He is the focal point. Psalm 135, just listen to the words, how often it's referring to the Lord. Praise God. The Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. 
And so our worship, whether it be in music or non-musical worship, it should be with the attention being focused on God. Music assists us, of course, in doing that. It assists us in worshiping. It helps us prepare our hearts uh, for deeper worship. And singing should awaken in each one of us the affections for God that we desire to pour forth praise to Him. And so God is absolutely the focus, but it's giving Him glory that is the purpose. Worship must focus on the correct purpose of giving God glory. If you want to turn, you can to Psalm 96, kind of a, 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 just some shorter verses, but Psalm 96, verse 7 and 8 gives us these words. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. That would be the families of the earth. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts. And it's a call for all the people of the earth to come before God. And yes, I realize there's figurative language here of, of coming into the court or the temple, the court of the temple to worship God, but it's really a call to approach God and give him the glory that he deserves. And so music is a, a, is a part of that. Music is worship, and it helps us to lead us into deeper worship in the Word. And therefore, when we gather together in corporate worship, all of us in one body, and, and we sing to the Lord, we should sing with one voice to the Lord. We don't, we don't just come and just pick whatever songs that we want to sing. And, you know, maybe there's a group over here singing one song and a, and a group over here singing another song. We sing in unity to the Lord. And so worship, corporate music, must be singable. It's really a collective praise of a very eclectic group of people. I mean, think about that. This, this group in here is, is quite eclectic. There's a, lot of, a great variety of people here from many different walks of life, and yet we can pause and we can praise and give, uh, give God glory and honor. If you've ever traveled anywhere in the world uh, for, for missions work or, or assembled elsewhere with Christians, you know this to be true. Because you can, I, I have multiple times, many times, traveled to a, a, a body, a church body, and sat and worshipped them, having no idea what they were singing about. I've, I've sat in Chinese secret churches where they sing praise to God, and I can't even, well, number one, I can't even read the symbols, let alone pronounce the, what they're saying, and yet we can gather and give God glory together because we're unified in the person that we're giving the glory to and music does that a couple years ago i got to to go to our one of our missionaries phil hunt in zambia and it was it was an incredible experience because i went to, uh, to a village church in an orphanage and i was able to uh, preach that day but before i preached we sang and they sang for like 40 minutes straight non-stop every verse every song without instruments and I got to sit there and sing with them, not because I knew their language, but because I knew a similar language. And so I could read, actually read the hymnal and sing praise. And it was a wonderful opportunity to give God glory, even though at times I didn't really know what I was singing. But I'm gathered with a group of people and collectively we can lift up our voice in praise to the Lord. And we, of course, can do that without a language barrier here. And so different songs at times are, are liked or disliked by, by a variety of people. You know, maybe you don't like We Gather Together because it makes you think of pumpkin pie. I don't know. Maybe you don't like that song, but it's okay because it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about us with one voice lifting up praise to God because he alone deserves it. And so in corporate worship, it's not about personal preference, but corporate or collective worship. And of course, our, our worship must be doctrinal. It must be formed around doctrinal truths. If we sing songs, we could sit here and sing, Mary had a little lamb, and it would have no value spiritually in drawing us closer to the Lord, even if we sang it together, because it's not rich with the truth of God. We're not giving that attention to, to the Lord. But if we sing collectively a song about God and about who he is, then we give him glory. And think about this, corporate worship 
is essentially just the vocal expression of the truths that God has planted or is planting inside of our heart about him. Music is often one of the first things that we remember about worship. It's, it's often the most common form of memory that we have. And, and to express this, all you have to do is listen to little children who probably don't understand even the doctrinal truth that they're singing, but they know the words. Music is what sticks in our soul most easily, right? It's music that you can't get out of your head. It's a song you can't get out of your head during the week, and you keep saying, if you're like me or my son, you keep singing the same five words over and over again to the you know, regret of all of my daughters and my wife. Learn another verse, right, is what my, the women in our lives tell us. But when we've got a good one, why move on? <laughs> that or I just make up my own lyrics. <laughs> you know, we get songs stuck in our head because they're memorable and we repeat them. We have a, we're going to have an impromptu, not impromptu, it'll seem impromptu to you, but planned special right now. Because our child care, Trinity Kids child care, we're going to listen to them sing a song. They're I think it's their favorite song. Liz, is it their favorite song? It's their favorite song of our child care kids. And it's a, it's a doctrinally deep song. I find that fascinating. Our, the children that come to the, to the child care are, are not generally from churched homes. They're not religious necessarily. They, they enjoy that we have moral teachings and we teach them about the Bible, but they're not churched homes. I think, we have, I think there's two, two kids in our church, in this child care, and they're not even the loud ones, uh, and so we're going to play this video, and you can laugh, it's okay, it, it's, it's a little long, and it's a little bit chaotic, because it's, they're four, but they're, they're excited to sing praise to the Lord, and I think it's just a strong testimony of how music affects our heart, and so this biblical song they enjoy, and I think they enjoy it because it has truth to it. And it's uh, in the capacity that they can understand, they appreciate the truth that they're singing. So let's listen to our preschool. Thank you. 
It's a little chaotic, but that's okay. We lost the kid in the middle. Don't worry. We know where he went. Did you hear that? Can I have a lollipop now? They're not used to performing, right? They sing it in their class, but they sang Jesus strong and kind. And it's good for them to know that truth, to learn that truth, that Jesus is strong and Jesus is kind. And uh, so we praise the Lord that that's what they're learning in the child care, right? This is uh, just a ministry of the church, an opportunity that uh, some of our workers have to minister to these families and these kids, and it's sticking. Now, I am pleased to notice, I don't know if you noticed, but the two church kids, they, they stood straight. <laughs> They sang well, maybe a little exuberant in their, their uh, gestures, but that was okay, and uh, they knew the song, and so we just praise the Lord for their tender hearts. But music must focus on the Lord. It is to give Him glory. The third thing that music must follow is the right pattern, this pattern of worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, and I won't belabor this because we've talked about it several weeks But John chapter 4 verse 23 says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so music is an artistic expression. It absolutely is. We have an opportunity and you can travel the world and you can find different cultures who express in a God-honoring way, praise to the Lord with different artistic value, but it's, a, it's the value of our collective body, not individuals, as we do it. And so the voice of the congregation is the lead instrument when we give worship in song, right? It's not the piano, and I realize we all follow the piano, but it's the voice of the congregation that is the lead instrument. We are using our voices collectively to give God praise and to give him glory and so no instrument or person should be the primary sound it should be the congregation and yet it's emotional and it's provocative and it must provoke in each one of us or promote in each one of us the truth of God through the heart right God wants us to sing things that are true to him about him for him but to do it from our heart and so there's times where There's songs that I don't appreciate as much as I appreciate others, and yet we're to sing with our heart to the Lord. There's songs in our hymn book that I have a big X through in my office. I do, because I don't think they're doctrinally true enough, and so we're not going to sing them. That's kind of our opinion uh, as we lead in the music, but at the same time, it must be full of truth and sung from our heart. And so we get to kind of the concluding part of this point that music is essential for corporate worship. It doesn't mean every time we gather together to worship that we must sing, but when we sing, it should often, or when we gather, we should often include uh, worshiping in song for that. And so our two most powerful passages on this topic are Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. They're very similar, so just listen as I read them. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And so we have, there's lots of ways to kind of break this up, but, but Psalms, we, we've got a whole book of Psalms in Scripture, and that's where we're spending most of our time this morning. These are songs that have been written in praise to God. They're, they're, they're songs of praise to God. Hymns would be songs of uh, Christ's redemptive work in salvation, what Christ has done for us. And so we sing these songs about Christ's work, exalting His name. Spiritual songs would be regenerative songs, uh, life-giving truth. So these are songs that we sing about what we've experienced, what we know to be true of God because we have experienced it in our own lives. So these would be songs of testimony that we sing to the Lord and songs that have been written by other people, but songs that we agree with about the doctrinal truths of what Christ does in our life and how it affects us. And how do we sing these things? 
or to sing them with grace, Colossians says, or thankfulness to the Lord for what he's done. And I find it interesting, both of these passages, uh, Ephesians says, speaking to one another. So we sing these songs to God, and we sing them because of the glory that he deserves, but it's also beneficial for those around us to hear these things. We're building, literally admonishing or building each other up when we sing these songs. In fact, Colossians uses the word teaching and admonishing one another. We teach each other. And so we see these, how do these children, do these children one day, Liz, did you sit down with these children and pull out an orchestration of this music and, and uh, they followed along as you sang? No, the, she sang these songs and the children listened and they picked up the words and they, they mirrored giving God praise. And Rhonda, I know, a big part of this, alternating days and the kids request this song that they sang so that they might give God praise because he deserves it. And even in each one of these children has been planted this desire, this, this desire to give God the glory that he deserves. They don't even understand it yet. I mean, they're small. They're, they're average age, four years of age probably. Is that correct? Four years old? Three? Three! There's a couple big three-year-olds there. <laughs> you know, they, they don't understand yet. They can't understand all the truth that they're saying. They don't even understand yet that they're sinners. I mean, they kind of know it. And we remind them. <laughs> and, and they remind us that they're sinners, right? They, but they're, they're just beginning to understand the effects of what that sin means. To them, when they sin, they mean, it means they've disappointed an adult, they don't understand the ramifications of that. They don't understand that because of their sin, they deserve to go to hell. And that's a horrible thing to think about that these little three and four-year-olds, as innocent as they are, that that's where they're heading if they don't understand and get right with God this problem of sin in their life. And yet music can remind them of that. In fact, that song reminds them that Jesus is gentle and kind that he's the savior so one day when they are four or five or six or seven and they begin to understand the the ramifications of the sin in their life they will also know that jesus is strong and kind and he's strong to forgive sins and because he is kind and he is always good he offered himself on the cross to pay for their sins but that's not just a truth for these three-year-olds and four-year-olds. That's a truth for every one of us. Whether we're three or four or 30 or 40, we need the truth that Jesus is strong and kind and that there's salvation in no other name except for Jesus Christ. And we have the same sin problem that those children have, that our sins are what send us and separate us from God and send us to hell. And we must have them forgiven. And there's only one way. Jesus, who's strong and kind. So I urge you today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you haven't experienced the kindness of Christ in forgiving your sins, then I urge you to listen to those innocent, somewhat innocent children singing the songs of praise to the Lord that they're beginning to know. You must know the Savior as well. Well, let's talk about our Savior more in Psalm 100. If you would turn there with me, we'll get to the second and final point of the sermon. And that is that music has a vital role in worship. And Psalm 100 is, is a song of praise to the Lord. In fact, I have a title in mind. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. So it's giving thanks or praise to the Lord in the, the word of God, Psalm 100. We're going to read the whole thing. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. And so it begins with verbal praise here in verse 1. This verbal praise says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord. A joyful shout. The manner is not about the the quality of sound. And that's good for some of us, right? It doesn't matter that our pitch is perfect and we're in absolute musical unison with everyone around us. That doesn't matter. What matters is that it is a reflection of our heart. So it doesn't say make a sound of perfect pitch. Everyone must be on the key of C all the time. It doesn't say that. It says make a joyful shout, a joyful sound. And so it's the delivery of the praise from our heart that matters. In fact, Ephesians 5, 19 says, speaking to one another or making a sound from the heart. We're to speak collectively in song to the Lord because He deserves the honor of our voice. It's, an, it's also an overflow of an obedient heart that we make this joyful shout. And of course, it's unto the Lord. God is the object of our praise. He's the one we're singing to. Therefore, he's also the audience, not just the object, what we're singing about, but who we're singing to. And that's good. We're not singing so that the people around us can hear. And I know some of you do that. Don't sing very loud so that nobody can hear you. I encourage you, just sing from the heart to the Lord. Who cares who hears you? God wants to hear your heart. And so God is the audience of our praise. And yet there's some clear intentions that I think are involved in that. If we're going to sing or shout to the Lord, I also like that it's the word shout. We have a few young people, and we hear it on Sunday nights, right? When our, as Blair calls it, our children's choir sits over on this side, and then if, when they leave during that last song, I don't know if you notice, but I notice as I sit up here on the stage, I notice when they leave because it gets a little bit quieter. Actually, it gets a lot quieter. They're loud in singing, and we heard that, the, the boy, the tall boy on the right, I won't tell you who he is, but he sings loud. He does everything loud. <laughs> Very loud. And he sings loud. And uh, it's good to see them lifting up their voice to the Lord. But of course, when we gather together corporately, it is with the clear intentions of a prepared heart. Of course, worship can be spontaneous at times. We can sing out and praise the Lord with a spontaneous heart, and that's good. But it can also involve focused and carefully crafted preparation on our part. That we prepare our hearts. It isn't, isn't it a lot easier to give God praise from our heart when we have calmed ourselves and we've given Him our entire focus or attention? So preparing your heart through careful prayer and, and uh, careful thought is important. And, and I just ask you, how do you prepare your heart? How do you prepare your heart? I, I go through a process every Sunday and because I have, a, in a sense, a higher responsibility, I isolate myself from everyone except the Lord on Sunday mornings. Usually the first time I see my, my family is when they get here Sunday morning because I, I want to isolate my heart with the Lord and make sure that my heart is focused on Him. And I, I like music a lot. And so I use a lot of music to help prepare my heart. And so music, song, worship is all to be done in praise to the Lord but it's also to be collective praise. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. The verse 1 ends with the phrase, all you lands, or uh, in other versions it says, all the earth. Basically, all the created beings that God has made, which is everything on this earth, are, are, should give the Lord honor and glory. In fact, Jesus even points this out as he's coming into, the, into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry. He's riding on the colt. And, the, and the, it starts with the children, and then the adults begin to put down their coats and palm, tree, palm branches, and they sing praise to God as he enters into Jerusalem. And, and some of the Pharisees want him to stop. 
Tell the people to stop. And what's Jesus' response? If they stop, the very rocks will begin to cry out in praise. Creation must exalt and lift up the name of Christ. And so here we have an opportunity as we gather together to lift up our voices in song and a collective praise to God. It's not optional. It's something God is deserving of. Notice I'm not saying it's required, but I'm also not saying it's optional because it's something God deserves. And if we're going to worship it in spirit and truth, then we must give God what he deserves. In fact, we must approach him in the way that he deserves. And music is an aspect of that approach, a reverential approach. And when we prepare to approach God, it should be done with with reverence. If you were to meet somebody, a, a high dignitary or somebody of great importance, whether you agree with their political stance or not, or you agree with their moral stance or not, when you go to meet somebody of high office, you do it with a certain respect and reverence. And you do it because they're deserving. The, the position that they hold is deserving of that. And yet God is so much more deserving because he doesn't hold uh, some position that he's been elected to he holds the position the only position that is worthy of him and that is the ruler of all things and so music helps us to prepare our heart it helps us to be unified we're unified right now hopefully we're all looking at the same passage we're all thinking about the same truths about god And in unity, we're giving him our attention and our praise. There's plenty of examples in Scripture. In fact, when Solomon in 2 Chronicles is uh, built the temple, and it's time for the dedication of the temple, Solomon, he he goes all out for God. He offers 10,000 bullocks in offering and praise to God. It's a a long, uh, full day of giving God honor and glory. And this is what 2 Chronicles 5.13 says, Indeed, It came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What an incredible sight that must have been. Notice it began with what? The unity, right? All the the trumpeters and the singers and the cymbals and all the instruments, all in unity, declaring one thing, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And God is so pleased, he absolutely envelops the entire temple to the point where They have to stop. God is pleased with them and pleased with their worship, and it was done in unity. But, you know, we have to approach God the way he says, not the way we want. And that's really clear in Scripture. There's a lot of principles in Scripture about how we approach God, and so I just ask you, do you know them? Do you know how to approach God? It's not something we talk a lot about, It's not something that most churches talk about, how to approach God. And yet, he's given us instructions about how we worship him. And it's not according to our standards and our preferences, but according to his will. And so part of approaching the Lord carefully involves preparing our heart. And so I ask you again, how do you guard your heart from pursuing your own personal style in worship or your own personal preferences? We're here to worship God, and he has told us how to do it. And so, in Psalm 100, as they give God praise, it's really a call to everyone in unity to give God praise. But it's also filled with reinforcing praise. Would you look at verse 3 and verse 5? Notice the the subject or the content of these, these verses. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made, all, made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5, 
For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generation. And so in verse 3 and verse 5, the subject again is God, but it's these doctrinal truths about God, that God, we can know God, that he is the creator of all things. We are the people of his pasture, so he's in control of all things on this earth. We know that the verse 5, the Lord is good, that his mercy is not just a little bit of mercy here and a little bit of mercy here. It's everlasting. When God gives mercy to us, and I think this is specifically about salvation, but it certainly is true of all the mercy that we receive of God. He doesn't just give us mercy for today. He doesn't just give us mercy for this life and the sin struggles that we have in this life. He gives us mercy that is effective for our life now and all the way through eternity. That is a great doctrinal truth that we need to know and know well. That God's mercy is not just meager and he's handing a little bit out here and a little bit out there. It is extensive and it lasts forever. And his truth, his truth endures forever. He is truth. And God's truth never changes. Oh, is that not a truth that we need today in our society? God's truth never changes changes it is absolute god is always good his mercy is always extensive and what he has determined to be will always be and so how do you guard your heart from pursuing your own personal style of preference and make sure that it's focused on reinforcing truths about who god is doctrinal richness Right? There's a depth of knowledge of the attributes of God in this, in this passage. And this is what? Five verses? This is an extremely short chapter of the Bible. And yet there's five major truths about God, doctrinal truths about God presented here. There's a depth of knowledge. But there's also a depth of application for that. And that's why it's a psalm, a song of praise. This is not just truths about a distant God that are to be known. These are truths about God that are to be incorporated into our life. We should know them, and they should affect our hearts. There's also a depth of promise here, as I emphasized on mercy. That's a promise that God makes to us about himself, that his mercy is everlasting. No matter... Now think about this. If we worship God in spirit and truth, then no matter what we do today, no matter how horrible or how good it is, we need God's mercy. And it's abundantly available to us. No matter how today goes, or tomorrow, or the next day. And so, I ask you, what teachings about God do you most enjoy giving Him praise for? I'll tell you what I enjoy. I don't enjoy going through difficult circumstances. I don't think anyone does, right? I would really, I mean, if I had my way, life would just be easy all the time. But the problem is I know that if I was just coasting all the time, I wouldn't learn as much about the Lord as I should know. And so I love after difficult circumstances, I, I have problems turning my brain off. Usually this happens at night. But I lay in bed for long periods of time thinking about what happened that day or the difficult circumstances that I've gone through. And I relive those in my, in my head. That's not always a good thing to do. But I do it. And I, I relive what went on during the day. And what I love to do is pause and acknowledge what God has done in bringing about circumstances and events to an end or a, a point that I never would have done or expected. In other words... Think difficult things happen in my life through the day or through a week, and at the end, with perfect hindsight, I look back and I see all these intricate little details where God worked, and in his providence, he lined things up so that they would occur a certain way and bring about, as Jeremiah tells us, an expected end a will that he had accomplished or purposed in my life, and no matter what was going on in my life, good and bad, no matter how hard I tried to manipulate and control things, I still arrived at the conclusion that God had determined, and I did it because he, in his providential care, had orchestrated and tweaked all these minor details. And I love to look at those details and just think, wow, God loves me so much 
that he, he worked all these small details out in my life. You know, it's just easier to think that God is aloof and he's up in heaven and he just doesn't care too much about the small details in our life and he just kind of lets it go and our life is just kind of progressing and, and that's why bad things happen and, and it's kind of an excuse for really poor theology but when we think about it, God is intricately detailed and I love to praise him for those small details. And so what teachings about God do you most enjoy giving him praise for? Well, lastly, look at verse 4. We see this as purifying praise. He says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So here he's approaching God with thankfulness and praise that emphasizes purity and confidence, right? He's being allowed to enter into the court of God, not because of his work, not because of what they've done, not because they're deserving to stand before God, but because God in his goodness has allowed them to stand before him. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 tells us to gird up the loins of our mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And so he tells us, be careful what you think about. That's what gird up the loins of your mind means. You want a vivid illustration of what that means? Okay, they used to wear long robes. And if you were in ancient times, biblical times, you wanted to run, you would gird up your loins. You would, I'm gonna demonstrate it for you, so get your camera out if you want. But uh, they would grab the back of their robe and they would hike their robe up and tuck it into their girdle or their belt and it would look like they have a giant diaper on, but then they could run. I have no clue what it's like to run in a dress. Praise the Lord. But maybe some of you ladies do. I've seen my daughters try to run in, in, in dresses at times. It's not very convenient. And so if they had to run in biblical times or they were a soldier in biblical times, they would tuck their robe into their, their girdle, their belt, and then they could move freely. And Christ is telling us, how, gird up the loins of your mind. You've got all these, these thoughts that are floating around in your head. Tuck them up and make sure that your attention or your focus is on the Lord. So remove from your mind the things that entangle you. Stop thinking about what you're going to do later. Stop thinking about what the week is going to hold. And just give your focused, your full attention to the Lord. That's what he's telling us. When we think, we're to think this way, seriously, soberly, to give our attention to Christ. And we can do it by being holy for him because he is holy. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, we have boldness to enter into the holiest through the blood of Jesus. We can approach God because of what God has done for us on our behalf. And so we're to approach God with thankfulness. We're to approach him with holiness. We come into his courts. He's not approaching us. He's already done that through the work of Jesus Christ. It's now our opportunity to approach him in praise. If you were to enter into the, to a king's court, you don't just throw the doors open and walk in unannounced and make demands of the king. Unless the king has given you access, full access. And Hebrews tells us we can boldly come into the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And so we can approach God with thankfulness, but it's to be done with purity and confidence. And music helps us to do that. Music should help us or aid us in being pure before the Lord. So what we think about matters. We know this, Philippians chapter 4 Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things or meditate on these things. Let them roll over in our mind. These are all good things, right? True, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report. These are good things, and our mind should dwell on these things. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, who gave himself, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Christ desires that we be holy. And when we sing in song, whether it be corporately or privately, it should be done in holiness to the Lord. But music can become an idol. And and frankly, I think there's many churches where music is an idol that people actually bring into the church where they should be worshiping God and instead they're worshiping themselves. It's dangerous. Listen to these words of 2 Kings 17. This is speaking of literal physical idolatry but second Kings seventeen thirty three says they feared the lord yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away those are very sobering words this is speaking of israel obviously and this was literal idolatry like they literally had stone and wooden idols that they bowed down to which i I urge you to think about it is a lot harder to worship physical objects than it is to worship figuratively the lord it's a lot easier to worship or, or worship false idols figuratively in our life because we can do it without even thinking about it practically Right? To, to bow down before a wooden or a stone idol requires that I think about it and then in action move my body to do it. But I could easily worship a false idol in my mind without ever physically moving my body. And so it's dangerous. And yet here they feared the Lord. Yet at the same time that they feared the Lord, they also served false gods. They synchronized their worship. And really, anything that pulls my affection away from God and replaces my affection for God is idolatry. Anything that instructs me to give my attention and my affection to something else rather than God is pulling me towards idolatry. And so let me be very practical here. Music that causes us to sing and desire sin is sinful. That's not complex, is it? Music that pulls us away from God? How does that help us give God the glory that he deserves? It doesn't. I'll even name some names. Broadly speaking, organizations, Hillsong and Bethel Music. Now listen, there's a saying, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. I think I've I've only ever, in all of my time, ever heard one Hillsong or Bethel. I don't even know which they are because to me they're the same thing. I've only ever heard one song that I think honestly worshiped the Lord. I think most of the time they're filled with false worship masquerading, false truth masquerading as worship. I'm not saying they don't sing things that are true, right? All the time I harp on Joel Osteen, right? It's not that Joel, Joel Osteen tweeted recently, I guess, this week, he, treat, he tweeted that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And, and Twitter went crazy because they, couldn't, they thought maybe he got hacked. <laughs> okay? I mean, he says things sometimes that are true. In fact, probably most of the time what he says is true. The problem is when he says things that aren't true, they're false and they're damaging. And I, I think the same is true at times of Hillsong and Bethel music. Right? They sing about faith, but they sing about faith without works. They sing about giftings from God, but without obedience. They sing about love without sacrifice for the Lord. And 1 Corinthians makes it really clear that when we love something, we sacrifice. And so I think probably much of what they say, most of what they say is true. It's not that, that's not what concerns me. It's the false things that they say. They kind of just get inserted. And so we have to be careful about what we listen to. Because what we listen to does affect what we think about. And what we think about definitely affects what we worship. Music should bring conviction. It should encourage us to come closer to the Lord. In fact, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a passage about speaking in tongues, and it's really easy to understand. It's kind of a complex uh, passage, but it, the truth is simple, that if, if we had a congregation and everyone's speaking in different languages, how would that edify and build up the body in unity to give God praise? If nobody knows, if Pastor Perry just starts speaking in a language that nobody in here understands, how does that give God glory? In fact, if a guest came in and heard that, it would be confusing and it wouldn't bring conviction to their heart. But when in unity we give God honor and we give him glory and it's a clear understanding of truth, then when people enter, they hear that truth. They're not convicted by us. They're convicted by what they hear about God. And that's why there shouldn't be confusion in the church. There should be unity in what we do. Collective unity in giving God honor and glory. And so when, it when the truth is communicated, God is pleased, and it must be communicated clearly. And so just in closing, I, I realize this has kind of been broad and, and not as nearly as specific as probably we need to be, but I encourage you to think carefully about the truth of singing praise to God, whether it be corporately together here in this body or whether it be privately in your home. As we gather together, to give God praise, music must be a healthy part of that. And so let us follow the pattern of heaven in Revelation 7, verse 9, where they offer a joyful shout to the Lord, exuberant praise that He alone is worthy of. Let's pray. We hope that today's message has challenged you spiritually and has been an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. For more information about Trinity Baptist Church, or if you have questions about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us on our website at tbcwestfield.com or on Facebook or Instagram at tbcwestfield. Thank you so much for listening today. Join us again next time for more preaching at Trinity.